Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality, planet Earth, host to extraterrestrial life. That is the title of an essay written by a person in intelligence in the Pentagon in 1953. It's an unpublished essay, but it was talked about in a book that was published in 1953 and written by Major Donald Kehoe. Uh, Kehoe, as a lot of you might know, was uh, basically of, of his time of the 1950s into the 1960s. He basically was someone who today we would view as Lou Elizondo. Uh, uh, Kehoe basically... Um, he was a he was a writer, and uh, he retired, and he was writing different articles, and uh, he was writing for a magazine called True. And in 1950, True asked him to uh, look into the uh, UFO flying saucer situation, and he thought it was all nonsense at the time. But after he did his research, now this guy Major Kehoe, he had a lot of contacts in the Pentagon. So, you know, he, his mind changed after time because he, he saw that there were just way too many reports. Uh, there was just too much evidence out there. And uh, so he actually wrote an article for True called Flying Saucers Are Real. And the, the article turned out to be big time. I mean, it, was, it captured the imagination of the entire world, actually, not just the country. So then he turned that article he expanded that article and, and wrote a book called flying saucers are real uh and it was it was huge it was huge and uh at the time and actually you could find it online you could read flying saucers are uh excuse me flying saucers are real and then he uh in 1953 he published another book called flying saucers from outer space and uh Basically, this if you were to read this book, I mean, it, you would see that this thing has been covered up for a long time by the by the by the United States government, by people within the Pentagon. Basically, um, he, uh, you know, from he had a lot of different contacts uh, within the Pentagon at the time. And and this book actually was cleared by the Air Force. Um, and uh, it's amazing, really, when you, when you look back at it. But uh, there, there, from from what he had gathered at the time, there were basically two different groups in the Pentagon. There was a group that uh, wanted people to know, wanted the public to know that basically these things look like they're interplanetary. That that was the explanation that they, a lot of people in in the Air Force and a lot of people in the, throughout the Pentagon had came to that conclusion that uh, these objects that uh, they were encountering on a regular basis were interplanetary. There was just no other explanation for the, for it. And so there was a contingent of people that thought, yes, this is extraterrestrial and the public should know. But then there was another faction there that did not want people to know. And, you know, looking, you know, this is just my theory on that. I would imagine that that faction that didn't want people to know, maybe part of that faction had connections with Majestic 12 and, and Majestic 12 wanted to keep this whole thing secret while they studied it in secret. Uh, uh, actually, Kehoe, I don't think at the he, he didn't know he did not know of the existence of uh, Majestic Twelve during this time, but uh, but he did have people were willing to talk to him up to a certain point throughout the early fifties. Like I said, for nineteen fifty three, he published this book called Flying Saucers from Outer Space. But not long after that, by night by the mid nineteen fifties, uh, he he had written another book and. Uh, that book was uh, called The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, where he uh, 
basically talked a lot about how there, there's a, a, a massive cover-up going on, and, and he called the people responsible the silence group. But, uh, but before that, uh, before, he, before the, the Pentagon began to really clamp down on this, Kehoe was given a lot of information, and it's, it's really surprising to look back on it. And, and like if you had a, I mean, you can get a copy of this book and read it for yourself. I mean, you could uh, find a used copy online, or I will leave a link where you could actually read the entire thing yourself uh, on, on your computer uh, if you're interested. But we're going to talk about one portion of this book where he talked toward the end. There was a, a chapter called Exodus from Space. And in that chapter, uh, Kehoe had talked about, he, he met regularly with the, a, a guy named uh, Al Chop. Uh, you know, Al Chop was a, uh, he, he was a, a colonel with the, uh, he was a press relations basically for the Air Force at the time. And he was, he, he, he uh, provided a lot of information uh, to Kehoe, uh, like, like he would talk to people and then they would give him information and then he would give that information to Kehoe and then Kehoe could use that for his books. And uh, at one point uh, in 1953, uh, Chop handed uh, Kehoe this essay it was a few typed pages. It was an essay that was uh, written by a person, uh, Bill O'Dell, Colonel Bill O'Dell. And O'Dell was somebody that was involved in intelligence in the Pentagon. And he had written this essay, and, and, they, and Chop told, told uh, Kehoe that, uh, you know, you could have this, you could publish this in True Magazine or anywhere you, anywhere you want, right? And, and, but Kehoe, and actually some of Kehoe's colleagues were actually, they didn't want to publish it because although the Air Force had cleared it and said it was okay for them to publish, they weren't allowed to state that uh, that Odell was, you know, basically someone who worked at the Air that was a, a colonel in the Air Force. So uh, they couldn't say his name. They couldn't. They couldn't use his rank or anything like that. But and so they didn't. They they, they didn't. They did not publish it. But however, uh, at the same time, Kehoe and his colleagues were actually afraid of the implications that were basically stated. Uh, in this essay because basically what the essay was called uh, planet earth uh, uh, host to extraterrestrial life so and it was basically the 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 gist of this whole essay was the was that uh, these beings were here basically they were they were colonizing earth that's what was going on they had they, they they apparently had left a dying planet and here they were now on planet earth and I'm going to get into some of the things that uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to actually read some of the stuff from this book, uh, some of the uh, thoughts that uh, Kehoe had about this, uh, about Odell's suggestion. Now, he 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 never this was never published. This essay essay was never published, uh, but there were notes that were, were taken on it. And actually, uh, a UFO researcher uh, named uh, Michael Swords had. Uh, written he had written his own piece about this and and pieced together what the essay had uh what what the essay uh, stated uh but anyway i'm gonna go back to uh what was actually stated in flying saucers from outer space and 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 the feelings expressed uh in in uh, by uh by major kehoe with regard to this essay and he he, he states here he says uh if he were right meaning uh odell 
unknown beings from a dying planet were considering the earth as a possible haven a new home in which to perpetuate their race possibly as odell said the long survey would prove our world was not suitable otherwise planet earth might become willingly or not a host to extraterrestrial life uh, he went to a phone booth to talk to the call up True True Magazine, and then and then I realized that the editors would want to see the script and talk over all the angles. Calling the airport, I made a reservation on a five o'clock flight. Then I drove home to get an overnight bag. Before I left, he he for, he, he contacted one of his colleagues named Jim Riordan, uh, but he was not there, uh, and. Uh, and maybe he'd have some idea of, of, of why this... He wanted to find out why this script was cleared. And maybe he thought his friend with the Air Force, Jim Riordan, might have an idea why the Air Force would clear something like this. Because, you know, the implication, you know, in, uh, in Kehoe's mind was that, they're, they're, you know, they're here to basically, you know, take control of the planet. So uh, he didn't want to, just want to just go publishing this because he was, I guess he was afraid of what the, uh, the result would be. How would the public react? Anyway, on the air, here's what he wrote. He wrote, on the way to the airport, I thought over Odell's suggestion. The mass migration idea wasn't new. It had been used in dozens of stories and plays, but I'd never taken it seriously. Moving any large number of people from a distant planet seemed impossible. Of course, it could be done gradually over a period of years. Even then, the problems seemed enormous, though they might not be barriers to a race which had long ago mastered space travel. How would man in some far distant age go about migrating to another planet? It would depend first on the fate they faced on Earth. There were two theories as to how the Earth would die. According to the first, it would slowly cool, then become frigidly cold like Jupiter and Pluto. The opposite theory held that the Earth will get unbearably hot and finally burn up. One scientist holding this belief is Dr. George Gamow, author of 123 Infinity and professor of theoretical physics at George Washington University. In Gamow's opinion, the sun is producing more energy and constantly expanding. At the last, our globe will be destroyed in a tremendous explosion. During the first stages of cooling or heating, our descendants might escape surface temperatures by building underground, air-conditioned cities, surviving on chemically produced foods. There was the project science suggestion regarding a possible race on Mars. If the Earth were cooling and not threatened by an expanding sun, the human race might exist indefinitely underground. But if there was a better alternative, the chance of a normal outdoor life on another planet, some Earthlings at least would undoubtedly try it. In that far distant time, man will certainly have mastered interstellar flight. Long before the earth becomes unbearably hot or cold, our descendants would begin to look for a new home in the universe. Since no solar system planet has a climate like the earth's, the nearest star system would be explored first. Perhaps a twin of the earth will be found. If not, the explorers would search further. During a long exploration, more than one earth twin might be found. If the nearest one were inhabited, our descendants might choose a more distant planet, especially if the planet race were strong enough to resist invasion. 
Once Earth-2 was selected, bases would be set up on and an occupation force gradually brought in. On a planet similar to this, evolution probably would have produced fish and fowl, also animals which the colonists could domesticate. If not, small numbers could be brought to start such life. Fields would be cleared and Earth-type crops planted. Even with giant spaceships, moving most of the Earth's population would be impossible. At first, probably, migration would be limited to technicians, builders, defense forces, and their families. It might take hundreds of years for Earth 2 to be fully occupied. Migration might be voluntary, but probably it would be restricted to younger age groups, except for key scientists and various experts. What would happen to the hundreds of millions necessarily left on Earth? It would be impossible to move all of them underground. Perhaps some, some plan for gradual depopulation could be used. Birth control enforced by sterilization. In this case, long before the Earth freezes or begins to roast under a blazing sun, it will in truth become a dead planet, abandoned to its fate. Fantastic as it sounded, this could well be the method of migration to an uninhabited planet. But if the selected planet was inhabited, a different planet plan would have to be used the choice of such a planet might be forced on the earthlings it might be the only one on which they could survive or it could be a cynically deliberate choice the homes industries farms and mineral supplies of the planet race might offer shortcuts to colonization either way the fate of the planet's inhabitants would depend on the character of future man by then a wiser human race may have outlawed war or they may have degenerated into scientific barbarians if our descendants were peaceful they could suggest a friendly coexistence to the planet race the Earth's scientific advances might be held out as an inducement, but a future man is a cruel materialist. He would take one of the one of two steps. First, he could destroy the inhabitants and take over the civilization. Civilization. Second, he could conquer them, then use the captive race for forced labor. Even if the Earthlings desired a peaceful occupation, it might not succeed. A race too weak to resist would be no problem, but an advanced race might fight. If the planet were the only possible choice for Earth 2, our descendants would probably use force if reason failed. Once in control, they might persuade the inhabitants to cooperate in exchange for their freedom. It is possible that the Earthlings would discover a highly superior race, forcing them to renew their search for a second home. If none were found, they might, in desperation, stage a sudden attack with their most deadly weapons, hoping surprise would overcome the inhabitants' defenses. Should this fail, then underground life on Earth would be man's last hope. In the world of 1953, I knew the fate of future man would be of little interest, but Colonel Odell's suggestion brought the Exodus idea grimly down to the present. His explanation might be mere speculation, without a shred of evidence, but somewhere in the universe there were bound to be planets far older than ours. If such an aging planet were inhabited, its race, providing they traveled in space, would certainly search for a twin to their dying world, and that twin could be Earth. And that was his, that was, um, that was Major Kehoe writing about the um, essay written by Colonel Odell. Now, the actual, uh, the, uh, the essay again, like again, we don't have an actual, a, a copy of it, but this Michael Swords actually wrote about it and i'm going to leave a link for that too uh, so you could read what he wrote about it um and 
and basically how people like Kehoe were, you know, this, this, this scared them. You know, this was a thought they didn't like. They didn't, I mean, who likes the idea that the reason they're here is um, because they, they just, they have nowhere else to go. Their planet's dying and they needed to find something that would be suitable for them. And it would take a long time. It could take, I mean, say, I mean, I mean, let's look at the situation here. You know, there's been things that have been cited, you know, for centuries, right? Um, but it really, really wasn't until 1947 where, where we really started noticing these things. It looks like they were here in force all of a sudden. I mean, you, you, you start from uh, Kenneth Arnold's sighting, you know, when he saw like nine objects, you know, flying around like, a, like, a, like, a, like they were, you know, basically... Uh, showing what they have i mean they, they didn't care they were basically looked like they were surveying the planet uh you know that's what it seemed like you know and and, and this has been going on and things and, and there have been other strange things now associated with this you know since 47 there was you know the cattle mutilations alien abductions all of that kind of stuff and so what if the, you know some of them have been showing up in 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 chunks over time over the last 75 years I mean, is that what's going on here? I mean, think about it. For instance, the the nineteen ninety seven Phoenix Lights incident. Okay, some gigantic, you know, thousand people, how many hundreds of people saw this thing? Right, it was a gigantic thing. Some of them, you know, said it was bigger than you know three football fields. You know, this giant triangle or or a boomerang. So you know, it was huge. Whatever it was, you know, floating, just floating over, the, thrown through the sky like you know. Like, who cares without a care? You know, it makes you wonder, was that maybe uh, a mothership uh, arriving from deep space, you know, to join their compadres that are already here? You know, uh, you know, and, and and were the were the beings inside just they were just floating over 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 Phoenix, Arizona, uh, to, to like uh, like tenants getting a look at their uh, surveying and, and, and uh, inspecting their new abode, you know, before they go. Uh, to where wherever they're hiding out for the time being until the rest of them get here, you know this that happened again uh, in the early two thousands in Stevensville, Texas, where the, the, you know, it was reported that a gigantic this gigantic mothership type craft showed up. I mean, there was a witness to that, uh, and then actually this witness was told that hey, told by officials, uh, military officials, to keep your mouth shut, but he 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 didn't. He talked about it anyway. I mean, there's been reports of these things throughout the years where these giant motherships show up. Uh and as and that's what I'm wondering now is is this is this are, are we are we are they coming here over time like like say in 1947 a, a a smaller group showed up and they're surveying the planet okay this looks like a good place right uh, okay we have to deal with these people here but we could worry about that later but meanwhile we'll send we'll send message a word out to the to uh, our compadres who are who know a hundred thousand light years a hundred million light years away or something who knows right somehow right using technology that we can't even imagine exists. So they send those messages out, and now over time, they're, they're, they're sending basically their, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the rest of their, their kind from their planet here. You know, I know a lot of people out there are concerned about, uh, you know, the borders and, and all that kind of stuff, but guess what? We think about this instead. What if there are beings coming to this planet, you know, that's taking time you know it's, it's we're, we're going 75 years now into this right it's taking time and but they keep showing up here in like 97 the big craft shows up and there's been other instances over the decades where people saw these gigantic craft 
right? And maybe they're hiding out. Some of them are hiding out in bases in, under the ocean. Maybe they're hiding out in space, you know. But at, at some point, I mean, they're, they're looking at this place like this is ours now. This is ours. I mean, we're just, we're going to, like, who knows what, 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 our, what lies in the future for us. I don't know, right? But, uh, you know, maybe that's what this has been going on here. Maybe what's going on here is they're, they're slowly colonizing this planet, and at some point we're going to be forced out or, you know, forced into extinction. Who knows? Forced into something, something that we probably don't won't like. I mean, but again, we're seeing a lot of, a lot more of these craft on a regular, regular basis all the time. I mean, these things are all over the place now. Uh, people are, are filming them. The, the government's starting to come a little bit clean about it. Uh, I, I don't think they have a choice really at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, again, this is just a theory. Again, it, you know, I, I, but what's interesting about this theory is that this theory was, you know, put out there in 1953 in 1953 somebody who was with intelligence in the air force decided to write this essay about what what he thought is going on and it actually you know it makes a little bit of sense doesn't it but anyway uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to get into this uh this article that was written by michael swords about colonel odell and the invasion of earth Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days, so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. UFO researcher Michael Swords had uh, written a reconstruction of Colonel Odell's essay that uh, wowed people like Donald Kehoe back in 1953. And uh, he wrote an article and he also included his reconstruction of that essay. And I'm going to read some of this. I'll read some of the article and then some of the reconstruction. And I also I will also leave a link to this so you could see it for yourself. Anyway, Colonel Odell and the Invasion of Earth by Michael D. Swords. It was early in 1953. Donald Kehoe was nearing the end of half a year of amazing cooperation from United States Pentagon insiders with him on the problem of UFOs. But the UFO sympathetic military UFO officer, Major Dewey Fournette, had just retired and his colleague, the UFO-friendly information desk official, Al Chop, 
was also about to leave that post. Unknown to Kehoe, the CIA's Robertson panel had recently completed its business, and the internal Pentagon war over how to handle UFO information properly had been decided in favor of debunking and ridicule. Of course, the Robertson panel decision didn't immediately sweep through all the services or even the intelligence officers at the Pentagon. There is plenty of evidence that many of them were in disagreement with the new attitudes and policies. One of these officers appears to have been Colonel William C. Odell. In one of Kehoe's last meetings with CHOP, he was handed an article prepared by Odell for publication in the popular press. Its title was Provocative. Planet Earth, host to extraterrestrial life. Chop gave it to Kehoe with the background that many persons on his side of the Pentagon UFO war were not backing down and that they felt more information should be made available to the public. Kehoe scanned the pages of the article. It was all about civilizations crossing space in search of new planets to live on once their own was failing for some reason. Kehoe's mind was boggled. What was this? Why an Air Force colonel in intelligence? How did this get released? Chop calmly told him that the Air Force could not refuse an officer's freedom to present personal opinions on matters that were not defined as issues of national security. Odell could write about anything he wanted to, but he couldn't use his Air Force affiliation as that could cause too much confusion and so his affiliation could not be listed if the article was published. Kehoe was still reeling. He protested that newsmen would see right through that in seconds. Chop merely replied, security review passed it, that's all I know. He then asked Kehoe to show the draft to his editors at True Magazine or anywhere else he wished. Uh, just to stop there for a second, True Magazine was, you know, Kehoe had published a lot of articles uh, for True, and basically Chop was telling him, uh, hey, yeah, you could publish it there or anywhere. Okay, continuing. Obviously, Odell had asked Chop to handle it this way. Kehoe showed the article to the editors of True. Actually, chief editor Ken Purdy was away and John DuBarry stood in for him. But everyone was nervous about it, sensing something odd was going on in the Pentagon and not wanting to run the piece without Odell's rank and position. So the article never ran, and Kehoe only mentioned its contents briefly within much commentary on the larger social context at the end of his blockbuster book, Flying Saucers from Outer Space. Although Kehoe didn't make a copy of the article before he gave it back to Chop, he did make notes, which makes it possible for me to attempt to reconstruct Odell's original words. Now I'm going to read some of this... Uh, not the whole thing, uh, but I'm going to read some of this reconstructed essay. Planet Earth, host to extraterrestrial life. When we look up at the skies on a clear night, the unaided human eye can see at most about 5,000 points of light in the heavens. But our universe is much vaster than that. Some of these points of light are galaxies and countless more are visible with the aid of a telescope. In each complete galaxy, there are approximately 40 million unseen stars for each one visible to the eye. 
In our age, man is near to venturing out into our solar system and beyond it into our galaxy. This endeavor may well be of great importance to us. In some distant time, if man doesn't travel in space, the race on Earth will perish, either because the planet has cooled into a permanent ice age or is consumed in the last violent moments of the sun. Now, let's just stop there for a minute. Uh, we may have to leave at some point because of our own doing with uh, the things we're doing to the to the planet. Climate change is real. I mean, there's things all the time in the news. The temperature, the the, the global temperature is increasing every year. So uh, anyway, continuing. In these circumstances, the only answer for advanced civilization to survive would be exodus. But where would we go? For ourselves, life as we know it, or for a life, uh, for a type of life form very near our own, we must have certain environmental conditions in an approximate range of temperature, oxygen density, water availability, and atmospheric pressure. Our solar system doesn't hold much promise in these regards. And then he goes on for a long time speaking about our solar system and the planets in our solar system and that there's no, you know, they just wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't be able to live in, on these planets. And then later on, he writes, "In our solar system, one of the nine planets ha one of the nine planets has intelligent life. If this ratio holds elsewhere, there would be many havens in our galaxy. The same conditions that created Earth must have occurred elsewhere. New suns and new worlds are still being created. Some suitable orbiting planets in other solar systems may be older, some younger." And even if other life would not be found in our own galaxy, it is probable elsewhere. There is almost a mathematical certainty that somewhere in space, Earth has a twin. Earth's twin will not be an identical one in the sense of its being born at the same time, but rather in the sense that conditions for life have developed there and that life is present and evolving. In fact, our Earth could be one of a family of life-supporting planets in the universe. Some of our sister planets capable of sustaining life would be older than ours. Others would be younger. There, there may be enough of this breed of planet that one could see life forms developing through all the stages that occurred here. Some planets may be on the doorstep of human development. Others may be further along as we are today. Still, others will be much older, so much further advanced that they are on the verge of exodus from their planet as it approaches that stage of its inevitable destruction. These beings may have attained space travel. They may have already explored their own stellar system. They may overcome the technical and practical restrictions and are preparing for the abandonment of their planet. They may be seeking a younger, more suitable planet on which to live and perpetuate their race and then uh just going to stop there for a second because uh, uh swords actually puts a, a a little segment in brackets here that point out that because he was re he, he was reconstructing this essay from notes that uh, uh kehoe had written down and 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 he says here as an aside, judging by the arrows and lines he scratched on the above paragraph, meaning Kehoe, Kehoe was wowed by it. So Kehoe was actually wowed by that that section of the of the essay, basically uh, <laughs> suggesting that Odell was actually suggesting that uh, you know these beings are here because their their planet's dying and they need a new place to stay. Anyway, continuing. 
There are some races in the universe that will never have the opportunity to meet each other. Some races will die through wars on their planet, through lack of technological development, or through interplanetary wars within their own stellar system. For all we know, planets may be the rule rather than the exception. Uh, there may, and later on he writes, there may be planets orbiting about the score or so stars that lie within a dozen light years of our own sun. At this time, modern telescopes are incapable of differentiating planets from their mother suns, as in comparison, they are much too small and their reflected light is much too dim to be seen by even our most powerful powerful telescopes now i just want to stop there for a second because as we know uh this was written in 1953 these notes are from an essay that was written in 1953 so things are a lot different as far as telescopes go i mean just look at what we just had recently uh you know the images we just had sent back to earth uh via the james webb telescope i mean are absolutely amazing so we have a better idea astronomers now has a you know have a better idea of you know what lies beyond uh, of course we don't know everything but we have a better idea than we did in 1953 and then continuing extraterrestrials among us we wonder how other races would ever come to know that intelligent life existed on earth recent reports of unusual phenomena in our atmosphere ufos have reopened the suspicion that travelers from outer space may be reconnoitering earth numerous men of scientific background have flatly opened their technical reputations to censure by stating that these uncommon sightings are of extraterrestrial origin these include engineers and scientists from all fields and all nations Granted that superintelligences on a planet in another solar system have mastered the problems of interstellar travel and are looking for a suitable planet for a second home, why would Earth be singled out from other planets in space for reconnaissance? Uh, now, he goes on here. Uh, Odell believed that, uh, I mean, Odell actually pointed out that a lot of people at the time thought maybe the atomic bombs that we were blast we, we started uh, using in 1945 uh, got the aliens' attention, but he doesn't think so. He thinks it could have been from radio signals uh, from our, you know, that somehow aliens in, in deep space, our, our radio signals actually reached them, and they realized that we were a planet. Obviously, we must have intelligent life on it, and that's how they found us. Who knows how they found us? But that was his. Uh, and I'm not going to read all of this, what he wrote here. Again, you could, I'll leave the link so you could check it out yourself. He, he, finishes, he finishes off the um, essay stating this. A study of our beamed radio transmissions over a period of years might cause extraterrestrial intelligence, intelligences to elect to survey our planet rather than abruptly descend upon it. This study of countless broadcasts might cause another race to wonder if Earth is a suitable place to visit after all. They might come to believe that their search should continue elsewhere, hoping to find other races in the universe whose way of life more closely dovetails with their own rather than the barbaric existence evident on Earth. And that was the end of the essay. Again, there's a lot more to it. I just didn't want to read the whole thing. It's 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 long, and some of it uh, doesn't really hold true today, particularly with the, you know, what they knew about the planets and, and telescopes. And but what's interesting here is that, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's still going on though. If that was the case, then why are they still here? I mean, this was written just you know, five, six years after the whole flying saucer thing started, you know, the, the, the people became aware that these things were out there. 
right so uh, so you have somebody in intelligence in the pentagon you know giving this opinion that uh, these beings could be here looking for a new home you know um but here we are all these years later you know 70 years later from when this was written and they're still seen uh, and it seems like more and more all the time i mean our our own pentagon our own government stating they don't know if they're if they you know they're trying to determine if they pose a threat you know uh and they've been, they've been saying stuff like that throughout the decades uh but anyway uh, yeah this is uh it's very interesting stuff and uh you know, it just goes to show that basically a lot of things really haven't changed. I mean, uh, if you look at you know, someone like Kehoe, Kehoe reminds me, or actually, let me say this, Luis Elizondo, in a way, reminds me of, of Donald Kehoe. Donald Kehoe was someone, I mean, this guy was an insider. I mean, he had a lot of inside uh, contacts early on. Of course, things changed over time. Uh you know, he, he started, uh, you know, after this book came out, not long after, just within the next couple of years of this of this uh, flying saucers from outer space getting published, you know, like his sources all dried up. And, and, and all of a sudden it seemed like, you know, the, the Air Force and the Pentagon, everything, the, the government just basically put the clamps down on, on, on the whole, they, they weren't sharing, nobody was sharing any more information with him anymore. And actually he wrote and ended up writing another book in 1955 called The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, where he complained a lot uh, by uh, people that he referred to in the government as the silence group. Because uh, they, as far as he was concerned, they were uh, they were part of a conspiracy to keep the the truth about uh, flying saucers away from the public. And basically, by this point, because this Robertson panel, the CIA's Robertson panel, which was formed in 1953, came to the conclusion that yeah, we need to just start ridiculing this and just downplaying this whole thing. And that's that. It seemed like you know shortly after that, 1954, 1955, that's what started happening. And Kehoe saw this. Nobody would talk to him anymore anymore um so then he 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 became he he helped co-found uh an organization called nightcap that doesn't exist anymore basically closed down in 1980 but it lasted uh from 19 from the mid 1950s all the way into 1980 it was uh, nightcap was the national investigations committee on aerial phenomena and uh he was uh, you know the head of that he he became the head of that organization for a long time and uh they published the newsletters uh you know a few times a year uh, and he he tried this organization was was considered for a long time the the biggest organization of uh, ufo organization out there that fought for to to end ufo secrecy throughout the 50s throughout the 60s uh into the 60s and it just uh it failed of course uh, if it didn't fail then we still wouldn't be talking about a conspiracy now would we but uh yeah i mean again it's just interesting how basically it seems in a way that history is repeating itself you know we have you know people back then back in the early stages i mean it seems like the air force was open oh you know they were people were talking for a little while there but i do believe you know that at the same time there were people within the pentagon uh that knew about the secret organization like uh majestic 12 
and maybe were part of that and they were probably part of the reason why you know uh, they wanted to keep this the the lid down on the ufo thing and just downplay the whole thing because they i i believe that majestic 12 and and some people within the you know just the small the small group that knew about this they wanted to try to study this on their own without uh getting the public all worked up because they didn't want to admit to the reality that you know it seems looks like our planet is being visited by extraterrestrials because you know it is it still is and and it's they're still here you know uh you wonder uh is that what this is about i mean are are these beings uh like like it was suggested by colonel odell back in the early 50s are they here basically to uh you know this is they're, they're moving here this and, and they're here now they're actually living with us i mean maybe they're hiding out under the sea uh it seems like that's the most logical place right but who knows you know i mean um they seems it seems like they're here and there's nothing anybody can do about it right how could we we're we're, these things are just way too advanced for us to handle right i mean and maybe that's why you know you know most certainly one of the biggest reasons why they they keep it secret i mean uh you know, if you can't do anything about it and you tell everybody about it and they're going to get people or some people are going to, you know, panic. Um, or, you know, it could be because they are trying to reverse engineer the technology or it could be a combination of all these reasons and, and maybe even some things we don't, we're not even thinking of here. Uh, it's all speculation because, again, uh, it's been, we just don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, some of us realize and understand that, you know, there's a presence here on Earth and it's not human. And there are definitely more advanced than you than we humans are. Uh, and that's all we really can say. But again, this is going on for all these years. And, you know, history's basically, in a way, repeating itself. You have Luis Elizondo out there. I mean, is, you know, the things Luis Elizondo, for instance, the things that he talks about, you know, he's talking about, you know, uh, he's working on a book. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you know, he's talking about disclosure. Uh, you know, are we really going to get that? I mean, um, you know, this is these are the same things that people like Kehoe, who who had, uh, you know, contacts in the Pentagon, talked about back in the fifties, and here we are. It's the two, uh, it's the it's the twenties of the of the twenty first century. It's the twenties, and we're we're still talking about it. And we haven't now the 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 new middleman between the public and the Pentagon. It seems to be Luis Elizondo. He's taking the place of uh, Donald Kehoe. Uh, you know and is he is he gonna succeed or are we gonna is this or, or is the lid gonna come down on this thing hard again i guess we're all gonna find out i don't think it is gonna come down but who knows I, I don't think they're gonna be able to keep the lid down for too much longer like i i talk about all the time it's you know technology our technology just the technology that the average american the average excuse me not just american at the average person in the world has access to now at some point i mean they're going to be able to it's going to become undeniable people will be able to prove this to themselves without having to rely on on their government officials to step forward you know those people will be able to you know you'd set up cameras all around their house and uh you know pointing up at the in, in different directions into the sky and and, and have it f- filming 24 7 and and, and infrared uh, and, and and they're going to be able to catch things going by that usually the, that they wouldn't be able to see otherwise uh i mean who knows what, what we're going to have access to as this technology and incre- our technology becomes more advanced so 
but yeah, I, I, I would uh, definitely, for one thing, you know, check check out the the link I sent. Uh, I, you know, if you have the chance, you know, you want to check out the links for that article by Michael Swords, and also, uh, you, you know, if you actually instead of reading the book on on, on a computer, you know, uh, flying saucers from outer space, you know, if you get a, your own copy yourself somewhere, that's the that that's what you, you can get a copy out there. there. There's a lot of people that are selling it. Uh, you can get a used copy. I actually have a used copy myself. Uh, it's actually the, from the first printing uh, from 1953, and I'm. I'm, I'm it's a fascinating book to, to 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 basically you're getting an inside view uh, of somebody and it was so, it was just right before the 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 lid the, the lid came down hard really hard 